0: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am here at Vox Media headquarters in New York City. It's nearly February. Doesn't look miserable, but it's not warm. You know what's gonna be warm? Southern, you can nod Dave. Southern California, mid-February. That's where we're having the Code Media Conference. Me and Kara Swisher are gonna host it. We're gonna have amazing guests. Maggie Haberman, Susan Wojcicki, Tim Armstrong. By the time you hear this, you'll know that we're having Janice Min from The Hollywood Reporter, the founders of The Skim, Rick Morin. Um, there's a really cool person that I probably can't tell you about yet, um, but they run a company everyone's very interested in, and they're going to be there. It's all February 12th and 13th in Huntington Beach, California. You can learn more about it at recode.net slash events. Okay, Dave was very quiet there. He thought he couldn't speak. I no, I to went last him to year. Speak. It was great.
1: You did go. Yeah.
0: That is an authentic, organic endorsement.
1: Yeah. They had great surf outside of the hotel too. I didn't go surfing, but different location this year.
0: Better surfing. Better surfing. Better surfing. The voice you hear, the surfing endorsing guest at uh, at Rico Media today. I'm keep that in there. It's authentic. Is Dave Finocchio. He is the CEO of Blue Report. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for having me, Peter. How much should
1: I pay you for that code media endorsement? Uh, Nothing. I don't you know. paid me
0: to attend. That's right. How good is this business?
1: Oh, it's a great business. It's <laughs> so fantastic. That's, what I, that's what we're going to talk about, right? How you want to get, get in, in the events is. business? <laughs> Are you, do you guys do any events? Uh we're we're dabbling. You're dabbling. I don't know if it'll be a staple, but your core business is Advertising.
0: About in case someone has not seen Blue Report.
1: Bleacher Report is the I would say at this point the leading millennial destination for sports culture and news. It's gotten pretty big. Can you feel the vibes from
0: SB Nation? They're literally on the other side of that wall. Yeah, well, actually, a, a server room we send there,
1: We send those guys a lot of traffic. We've we've always tried <laughs> we've always tried to be good to them, but um yeah, I mean, if we're talking a reach game. We, uh, yeah, we're pretty big. You guys are a big
0: honking sports, uh, digital sports producer. Digital, I'm, social. My mouth is going, it's not working today. Yeah. You're big. Uh, <laughs> I think of the sports media universe as ESPN, the big guys, yep. and then Sports Illustrated used to be the big guys. Yep. And then uh, you folks. Yep. And SB Nation over the last decade showed up, became a big force in digital. Um, now you're sort of the established sort
1: of medium slash old guard. Yeah, no, it's crazy what's happening. There's barstool, right? I know we're having and to. There's, we're, there's guys on Instagram. There's House of Highlights. We're having to. We're having to buy stuff and and build it to, uh, to make sure that we don't get disrupted. which is a, a different position to be in. Having I started this company in 2005. so Yeah, we've been we've been at it a while. Yeah, so you're 2005. That's that's Web 2.0. We're in a whole different world. Totally, I still know all those buzzwords. I
0: think the reason that my I'm I'm not at full capacity right now is I'm in mourning for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, sad, but sad, but expected. If you're a, Vikings I thought they fan. were going to win. Yeah, I did, um, <laughs> because that would be too much joy. And if they won, they would get killed in their own home stadium by the Patriots in two weeks. Um, here's a dumb question. I'll have a bunch of these for you. Does your site sort of track general interest sport in terms of? Activity, interest, traffic, engagement. Yesterday is a giant NFL day. I assume you guys see a huge spike there. Does it ever divert from sort of whatever the mainstream sports is happening in terms of in terms of user interest? Right? Is there ever a, a, a vein you say, "Oh, our website's going nuts over this"? You can't read about it at all
1: on ESPN. No one's paying attention to it. Um. I would say that we're pretty good at data. We, that's that's kind of how we we came up in this business. Yeah. You had all these old media companies that were trusting really talented and experienced editors' guts, and then we did all of this math and figured out that they were covering the wrong topics, and that and SB Nation did did some of the same work at at the same time. And in terms of of that happening today, where all kinds of people are interested in this and mainstreams over here, I will say that I think traditionally you think of sports as, like, as being a bit jockey and it can be kind of exclusive where all, there's a segment of the population that's really into sports and they care about wins and losses and they care about stats and they care about, um, you know, wh- whatever. And then there are people over here that aren't sports fans. And for, for us, what's really changed over the past few years with the total disruption that's happened in the sports world because of mobile and social platforms is I think sports culture has become way more inclusive, where you now have people who don't care about wins and losses, but they like Russell Westbrook highlights, or they don't care. No. Or they like what seeing what Russell Westbrook wore. Totally. Creating, they like right? seeing what he wore. They like seeing the like sports is this wonderful soap opera, right? It's like maybe the the White House is the best, most compelling soap opera that's going on in this country right now, but I'd say maybe the NBA is the second best soap opera. Like You've got all these characters. It's basically an ensemble cast. You've got mainstays like LeBron, and then you've got and these other guys. And your premise is
0: that in the past, you would have only seen that if you went to ESPN, if you were at a bar or someone's house who had an NBA game on. Now it's the internet. It sort of permeates. It comes to you whether—maybe you didn't even seek it out, but you might be aware that Russell Westbrook wore something crazy before the game.
1: I think in the past, you found out about sports through like your connection to your local newspaper or sports center or your connection to your family— but it was more of a—for the most part, it was more top-down because people consume—like, most of the content they consume now is accounts they follow or, or sharing. They're getting all of this content from their peer group that they wouldn't normally consume if they sought it out themselves. And sports content amongst men, it's—men don't really share content outside of sports. Like, if you, if you look at the numbers—so, that's where I say that sports has just become more inclusive because people— end up being influenced by the culture of sports way more without necessarily caring about the games. Besides the Vikings
0: losing last night, the, the big the big news in media the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, is Facebook making uh, a couple different announcements about the way they're going to change the news feed, what they care about. Yes, um, it's, it's a Monday, who knows what they'll announce by Thursday. I think there's sure. more stuff coming. But they're signaling, both in public and privately, saying we're going to change the way we, we deal with content here. Um, I know that you guys have pushed for a while and saying, look, a big part of what we do is we do distributed media, which is a fancy way of saying we're publishing on lots of other properties besides our own website. It is. Um, what do the Facebook changes mean for your site, for your
1: business? You guys have been pushed into Facebook and social broadly for a while. Facebook, Facebook's interesting, right? Like, I give Facebook a lot of credit going back to when they first started Publishing or really pushing publisher content, which was I think I think of as the 2013 2014 way era, way back in 2013 2014. Yeah. But I, I really liked what they did then because they made it like the previous era was really a Google driven era. If you were a new publisher, and that um, that meant that for people who were in the business, it was more of a volume and frequency games. You created Google incentivized you to create a lot of content, but not necessarily the highest quality content. And when Facebook came into the market, because you could create one great piece of content that then could be shared to an seemingly unlimited audience, I thought it for a while it incentivized better quality content. And I think since then, um, I actually have this uh, this long email that I've drafted to Mark Zuckerberg that I'll probably never send, but I, there's so many things about how they've managed these thousands of publishers over the years that are so analogous to what we did in our early days where we um, we built this large uh, pool of writers who um, who were unpaid contributors when we were a startup company that had no money. And I think initially you you kind of make a lot of promises to those people about what's going to come and stick well with meaning. us. Well-meaning, you believe well, well those promises? Me- Well-meaning promises. Uh, we're really excited about this program and this program, and we're going to get the monetization part later. And um, And I think that over the years... I would just say, like, I think they've been a little bit callous about some of the programs they've rolled out and some of the decisions that they've made and just some of the incentives that they have ended up creating for the people on their team where it's, it seems like sometimes the people who are the media partners end up with volume goals and we we need you to create this much video content and this many minutes, this many this. And I just think sometimes the incentives have maybe been either a little bit too driven by their sales team or uh, whatever it might be. I, ju- I just think that things have gotten t- to the point where they are now, where a lot of publishers are, are unhappy, and a lot of the promises that have been made through the years haven't ended up coming to fruition. So, And there are also a bunch of wonderful things that Facebook's done, and I think Instagram is the best platform to publish your content right now. Facebook in general, though, these changes, they're trying to incentivize... Sharing Again, they're trying to incentivize comments. It seems like liking posts is going to mean less. So I don't know. What will happen is what always happens, where publishers will scramble and will probably change how we create content for Facebook. So you guys specifically, did you see this coming? We knew. I mean, this leaked. In the circle, so yeah, I knew months ago that something like this was was coming. Right, so they they sort of let some of the air out in advance, intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, that usually happens, I would say.
0: Um, And I think I think a lot of publishers, even if they hadn't been given the high sign by Facebook, could see what was happening in terms of the traffic, and you could also see that they had yet to make money at Facebook. So were
1: you already making changes then? So I mean, our traffic from Facebook, in terms of referrals back to Bleacher Report, peaked in. I think January of 2015, and it's our traffic today from Facebook is, even though Bleach Report is much, much larger than it was in January of 2015 overall, our traffic from Facebook is a fraction of what it, what it was at its peak. I mean, I'm talking like 15, 20% of, of what it was. We, d- we did when Facebook started to push uh, third party content companies to create native video for Facebook. We, we went along with that and we built up a very large video presence on the platform. That also has come way down. And we're not unique, the same things have basically happened to everyone. Um, on the flip side, our Instagram audience has just blown up to a proportion that we never imagined possible. But Facebook specifically, I mean I'm rooting for them. I hope that they can get more users sharing content on their platform again. But just tactically, what do you so you've hired a bunch of people to make a bunch of stuff over
0: over the last year or so? You sort of come to the conclusion, no, that's not going to work for us. Um, now it's sort of an official statement from Facebook saying that's not going to work. Um, do those people go
1: away? Do you find other jobs for them? Are, are you able to move people around? We honestly um, have worked towards this for a while where we have very few people who create content specifically for Facebook. And that's not and it's not to say that we're no longer going to publish content on Facebook. We're going to try to figure this out. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then we'll move more resources elsewhere. We've grown enough where we haven't. I can't, I can't think of any hard decisions we've had to make personnel wise because of, uh, because of something like this yet. We've made decisions because they've been in the, you know, the best interest of the company for other reasons.
0: I want to ask you a little bit more about Facebook. I going to ask about Instagram, Snapchat, all the platforms. All first, the platforms. First, I want to stop the conversation for just a second so we can hear from a fine sponsor. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Does your business have any New Year's resolutions? Here's an important one every business should consider. Make your hiring process more efficient and effective. Zip Recruiter can help you. You can post your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then Zip Recruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. 80% of employers who post on Zip Recruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free, zero dollars. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. One more time because it's free. It's worth telling you about three times. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. Back here with Bleacher Report CEO Dave Finocchio. Got it all out there correctly this time. Welcome back, Dave. Um, you mentioned uh, Facebook. You sort of love hate. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, it Instagram. You love. Owned by Facebook. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I'm curious. And all the announcements Facebook's been making about the news feed, none of it relates to Instagram right. in terms of like turning down sort of the dial on 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 uh,
1: commercial content. You guys are huge on Instagram. How many how many followers? Um, House of Highlights has 8 million followers Bleacher Report has 6 House of Highlights million. is you guys? Yeah, House of Highlights is us we How have, did I not know that? I don't know Yeah, we have two of, We have two of the largest Instagram accounts in the world From a follower standpoint, no But from a video consumption standpoint They're both two of the top 10 largest accounts in the world So re- I went
0: on House of Highlights today Because I'd not actually followed it before And it doesn't have any SB Nation branding on there or even Bleacher Report uh, branding. There. Yeah, it's a they, t- just, they just gave me a funny look. <laughs> um, so that, that's that's intentional its that you guys don't want your brand attached to that. Yeah, I mean, I thought a, it was a dude.
1: What's uh? I thought it was a guy uh, pulling clips. It is a dude, but what's happened with that brand has been, and Bleacher Report's been an amazing thing, and it's taken a really long time to build. Very proud of it, but what's happened with House of Highlights has been something extraordinary. So like if a, you don't know what House of Highlights is. Go follow it. It's fairly straightforward. It's fairly straightforward. It's go, to, go to Instagram and follow House of Highlights if you don't it's, already. It's
0: mostly right now NBA games. Here's the end of the Nets-Cavaliers
1: yeah, game. It's basically everything you need to see in, in sports. Here's
0: here's the inside of the Eagles locker room. Yeah. Um, here's a guy trying to get on the
1: Philadelphia subway but running into a pole. Did you watch that one?
0: Sure. Painful, but the, uh, a little more pleasant.
1: Yeah, the thing that happened with House of Highlights is that um, athletes and musicians, like the most famous ones in the world, started to really embrace it. It's and, become like the ESPN top 10 sports center. Yeah, some people have made that analogy that it's the new sports center top 10. I think what's a little bit different about it is because like LeBron or Drake or whoever else you want to list, like literally, like, it's like ev- seemingly every famous person follows this account. They all talk to each other on it. Did you guys incubate that? Where did it come from? um, We bought it. You bought it. We bought it before it was. Someone was making it. Yeah. So Omar Omar Raja, um, who's now twenty three, was attending Central Florida University. Who had a great football season this year. They went undefeated, and he had something that was uh, that was clearly like we look at a lot of stuff, right? We probably look at hundreds of different startup ideas a year, as you do when you're a bigger media company. And just like, not to use cliche words, but the authenticity of his voice and also how people were engaging with it was just like we'd never seen anything like it.
0: How big was it when when, when you bought it? Maybe around a million
1: followers or a little a bit less. A million followers, now you said it's eight? Yeah, now it's eight. And
0: that seems like the kind of thing where you guys would go, all right, well, that's a really cool Instagram following the guy has, but that's what we
1: do for a living. Let's just do that ourselves. Um, I would say most of the time when we look at things, that's the conclusion. Uh-huh. This time, the brand resonated clearly with an audience in a way that like it was just clearly special and he's like he starts movements just over and over and over again like he blew up the running man challenge he he the drive by dunk challenge that came this uh this summer was from him just like over and over and over again the steph curry challenge like these things that become movements not just on instagram but find their way in other parts of culture and society a lot of them have started on House of Highlights. What is it about Instagram that makes it
0: work there? Because this could, I mean, again, there's clips on the internet, right? This could work anywhere. Technically, it could work anywhere. Why, sure. is it, why does it work on Instagram more than
1: YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Snap? I think it's, I mean, it's the audience. Our, I don't think we're... Unique in this regard, but say House of Highlights engagement rate on Instagram is between three and four percent. So, Meaning? Three, three to four percent of people who see his posts choose to engage with it. So they either like it or they they leave a comment. A much higher percentage, obviously, watch the content. Mm-hmm. But three to four um, percent. Bleacher Reports is about three percent. So House of Highlights is a is a little bit higher. But those are those are pretty high for industry standards. On Facebook, our engagement rate. Will be like two tenths of one percent, and that's that's above the industry standard. So I mean, you're talking about a user base that's fifteen to twenty times more engaged on Instagram than Facebook. I mean, not, they subscribe to it, right? They're not. It's not showing up on your Instagram feed because someone put it there. They have to go get it. Yeah, for starters. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's one difference between Instagram and Facebook. Right. It sounds like Instagram might be doing more of show you stuff that you haven't subscribed to. So. If, in the future, but to date, yeah, it's that's been, a good way to wreck the platform. Is show me stuff I didn't ask for. It, it might be. I don't know. I think one of the great things about Instagram is they've they've just left it alone. They're not they're not telling you what to create and what not to create. Right. So you guys it's have a huge success there. Um, seems like anyone could do it, but clearly not everyone can. Um, how do you make money from from being incredibly successful on Instagram? Yeah, yeah everyone definitely can't do it. It does seem simple, but uh, it turns out the way you. And this will happen fairly frequently that we'll post the same highlight as ESPN because we both we're the two people who have NBA rights and our the same highlight will on House of Highlights will outperform the highlight on ESPN by five or ten. Oh, weeks.
0: so when I'm seeing an NBA clip that looks like you pulled it from a TV screen, right? The, the way I'm used to looking on Vine or Twitter, yeah. Vine RIP. That's actually a cleared clip. Totally. Yeah. are though it anything, looks, even though it, big to do anything illegal, even though it looks like. Someone was holding it in front of a TV because it's cropped funnily. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's certain things you do to, that increase the odds of a piece of content being shared more. So you don't you don't mind if people think that you pulled it from a TV, but it's actually a cleared clip. Yeah, whatever works. But we, um, yes, we have we have the legal rights to do that, uh-huh. obviously. But the magic is in how the content's framed up. The magic is how you connect that piece of content through the text and through things that Omar points out to something in culture. Because everybody's seen a highlight eight bazillion times, right? But if it's funny, or if it's like if it ties to something that's again going going on in the culture right now, that's where that's where people get excited about it. Uh, so the money part,
0: can you are you making money from Instagram?
1: Yeah, how do you do that? Uh, advertising. But but where do you run? A, is it a
0: sponsored?
1: I, I didn't there, see any obvious ads there. There are three things that we do today. We'll um, we'll partner with brands and make truly branded content. And branded content to me means the the advertiser has an opportunity to actually collaborate with us on the content. Uh-huh. There's a sponsorship model, which means like an example of that would be our Gridiron Heights show on Bleacher Report, uh, which is a 60 second animated show that runs on Tuesdays. So PlayStation sponsored that this season. Um, so they uh, but they they don't have any input over its the video content. runs on Instagram has a. Brought to you by PlayStation. You got it. Yep. Um, and integration into the content as, uh-huh. as well, um, but they're not actually shaping the content. The sh- content isn't about using PlayStation devices. And then the third thing we'll do for a very select group of brands is we will run commercial spots for, like we've done it for Jordan brand and for Adidas and like for for endemic sports brands that make awesome, awesome content. Uh, We will will take their money and run their ad, yeah. And again, that shows up in my feed as uh, that'll be a house of highlights. Yeah, but with Handshake where it's disclosed that they're paying us to do it. Handshake's a technical social media word. It's super technical, yeah.
0: Uh, Snap, you guys were early on Discover
1: there. Internationally. Internationally, yeah.
0: And now domestic as well?
1: Yeah, since the beginning of 17.
0: It's a constant back and forth about what's going on with Snap, what's going on with Discover. A lot of people periodically write a story saying, it turns out that most of the activity on on Snapchat is is actually messaging, not they, Discover. That, that shocked me. I people couldn't, are, couldn't are believe that. People are consistently rediscovering this. Uh, but Discover doesn't need to be going away. They keep moving it around. They keep sort of rethinking how they want to display
1: it. Yeah. Um, what, is it, what does that mean for you as a business? Snap's been interesting. We... We like to be a fast follower onto whatever platforms that work. So whether like whether it's Snap or Facebook or Twitter, uh, Apple News, very ri- like I can't think of one example where we push chips in super early. But once it starts working, then we kind of run our playbook and muscle our, our way in. Um, so that's what we did with with Snap. What I like about and they obviously uh, they are in the process of figuring themselves out, and we'll all await and see what ends up happening to it if it's a messaging service for high school kids Um, so be it if he turns it into something else um, we'll be we'll be root we're, we're incentivized to root for their success but what I like about it from a business standpoint is it's a highly concentrated audience of teenagers and teenagers sports interests like what the stories that they care about don't always come through like And the data lessons we learn on our own website or on Instagram or on other platforms where the audiences are more diluted. So we learn a lot about what younger sports fans care about just by publishing to Snap. And for us, that's been hugely valuable, and I think that's kind of an underrated part of the You're using the that as an R&D lab in some ways? Yeah, sure.
0: So you know your audience there as teenagers. That's the Snap for the, audience. For the most part, yeah. And so they're responding to that, and so then are you taking cues from that when you're programming Instagram and your other platforms? Totally.
1: So one example was from last summer. We would not plan to go that big on the Mayweather-McGregor fight, but on Snap, like every time we did something about it, it was just blowing up and if you're was,
0: a 15 year old boy
1: it seemed like a really cool event yeah, yeah it was like my cousins who were in high school thought it was like the biggest thing that um that had ever happened and the data just came back showing that over and over and over again and so we ended up green lighting a bunch of really creative projects animated pro- projects claymation projects like a bu- like we did a bunch of really cool stuff for that fight and it crushed but we we would and it not- crushed outside of snap as well uh, it, did, it did especially well on Snap, uh-huh. but it did well outside of Snap, too. And that
0: stuff you wouldn't have seen if you were—because, again, the origins—and we could talk about this later yeah. in the interview, but the origins of—I of, have to keep saying this carefully—Bleacher Report, as well as SB Nation, is a lot of Google mining, right? Yeah. Here's what people are searching we, for. Let's make content based on what the Google searches tell us. And for Mayweather, you wouldn't be able to see that right
1: away. We would have gotten totally different data. Um, in the in the past, versus this was this was a different data stream, mm-hmm. so that's valuable. Yeah, Twitter, yeah, we're huge on Twitter. You're huge on Twitter. Yeah, and that means what? That means that we're huge on Twitter. Their big push right now, at least at least under
0: the current COO, who may no longer be the current COO by the time this comes out, is is video, live video in particular. Interesting. Um, the first part at least. Yeah, the first part. Yeah, yeah. Over the weekend, uh, the story broke that uh, the COO Anthony Noto may become the CEO of uh SoFi.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, so we're a, Still in we're San a Francisco non-breaking news. Yeah, it's still still I like still the, around. I like news SoFi's yeah. office better. It's I like a more SoFi's beautiful part of town. advertising
0: when they advertise with us. Yes. Great. They have budgets. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so they're they're pushing video and live video. Does that is that part of your plan there or are you doing something else?
1: I think we'll look at it. We we just have incredible engagement around our brand on Twitter. Like, we're consistently a top 10 Twitter account in the world from an engagement standpoint. Uh, we beat Hillary Clinton in November of 2016. Who didn't beat Hillary Clinton? That's well, at least two of us yeah. beat Hillary Clinton. So it's, you know, it's another demographic. Like, the demographic on Twitter for us skews more African American. There are lessons that we've learned there too, whether or not we do the do live content. I've been my general thesis is that there are not that many people who love or care about live sports content. I think people value on-demand sports content a lot. So we try to be relatively true to our North Star and not chase. Fill oh, it
0: out, because the, the truism of media is live is the biggest best. Live sports is the best of, of the best. Yeah. Uh, has the biggest audiences.
1: It does have the live sports games. Right. Certainly have big audiences. Uh, You're saying everything that's not that. Yeah, everything that's, that's not that. I don't. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to live Guy's sports. Guys talking about this. sports live, not terribly interesting. Or to most, least, to do most you young do people, that on there are very few examples of programming. Um, Barstool's got a couple of examples, but of programming that's emerged in this era, that's been and most of the consumption's on demand anyway. Uh-huh. But that's you know people sitting around talking about sports. It's like you don't need that anymore. You have Instagram. Yeah, the the live chat show
0: or, or even any kind of sports chat
1: show, I think, has got to be kind of a dinosaur. I think there are a lot of older people who still like it, but younger people, yeah, I don't, I don't honestly see it working again. Do you, do you feel
0: like, I mean, I I keep hearing that younger people in general are less interested in, well, I hear that, I hear anecdotally that younger people are less interested in live sports, period. They'll watch the end of a game seven. Yeah. But for the first three and a half quarters, they're on Instagram. They're doing whatever else. Do you, yeah. do you guys see that with data, or is that also anecdotal for you?
1: Yeah, we see it with with data. I think like people multitask way way more than marketers give credit for. It's like it's not an either or. They're doing a lot of different stuff at once. Um, so the game the game might be on in the background, but Lord knows what an individual is paying attention to at any moment in time. They're probably on their phones a lot more than. Uh, than you might think that they they are. I do think though, if you think about the history of live sports in this country, whether it's radio or then on the TV, live sports came up in a world where there was far less entertainment competition. Yep. And so it's, I think it's inevitable that we've probably hit a peak with live sports because you just, I just don't understand how it could possibly get bigger. And there's just People can substitute to so many other things. Last year, the NFL ratings
0: were down, and the arguments were, there's a lot of different reasons. Tom Brady was out. There's so many reasons. There's this problem. So many uh, reasons. The, There was the election. That one I didn't understand at all. Uh, this year the ratings are down, well, it's Trump, uh, it's Aaron Rodgers is out. Yeah. Um, do you imagine that next year NFL ratings are down and we hear another set of excuses?
1: It seems to me that the correlation between cable subscribers going down and NFL ratings going down is pretty tight. Uh, so I think you can overthink this a lot. It seems crazy to imagine that the reason that
0: overall TV reach and ratings are down or ratings are down would would not would not affect live sports. Yeah, and that every other argument against it is just people just wishing that was not the case. Yeah, okay. So we, that's, we agree.
1: That's pretty close to my perspective. So yes, if I had to guess, will they be down next year? Uh, I mean, it seems like that's where this is going. I right? will join you out on that limb. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm now the CEO of Bleacher Report,
0: um, but I still want to talk to Uh We're going to hear one more time from our sponsors who pay our bills. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe, the fastest growing home security company in the nation. They're now protecting more than 2 million people. And here's some exciting news Simply Safe has just released a brand new home security system. It's completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, down Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, that's scary, hammers, everything in between. The all new Simply Safe was redesigned to be practically invisible. With powerful sensors so small you'll hardly notice them, but you know who will notice them: intruders. Simply Safe has spent years building the system. They've added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price they've always offered. That's twenty-four-seven protection for only fifteen dollars a month, and there is zero contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they've built before, and supply is very limited. So get yours now, go to simplysafe.com/media now to order. That's S-I-M-P-L-I, safe.com slash media to protect your home and family today. safe.com slash media. We're back here with Dave Finocchio, still CEO of Bleacher Report, not SB Nation. I haven't checked my phone. But- Should we go by afterwards and go see the, the SB Yeah, Nation sure. guys? They kicked us out of my floor, so I'm, I'm, less, I'm less loving than I used to be
1: towards yeah. these guys. No, they used to be... Uh, from, like, the 2008 to 2010 era, they were our mortal enemy. Like, we'd come to work every day and try to kick their asses. But I we, remember writing something about one of you guys and mentioned the other one, and I got
0: a, just a huge volume of, of hate mail. Really? Yeah, there was just a lot of animus uh, yeah, about you They didn't you like guys. us. They didn't I like us. think probably vice versa. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the beginning of your company. Okay. That's a good, good segue. Okay. Um, so you started 2005. Yeah. You, Brian Goldberg, who's been on this podcast before.
1: Yeah. Uh, now CEO of Bustle. Two other guys? Uh, Dave Nemitz. And then had a fourth guy, Xander Freund, who joined like a year later. And, and at the time you were doing what? When you started. The I was in college. So I, I basically came up with the idea. I had a couple observations about, um, about why sports fans were being underserved.
0: You were an digital. undergraduate.
1: Undergraduate, yeah. You didn't have your hands full doing undergraduate things.
0: You wanted to start. I was
1: incredibly busy and working incredibly hard, but somehow I thought no. I was I was a second semester senior in South Bend, Indiana, and it was Ah. cold as hell. And I just probably wanted to be more sober than I was at the time and move on with my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no. Brian and I were good friends in high school. He and I made a documentary together in in high school at one point. So we'd actually done something of substance. And I said, hey. I've got this idea. I think I might actually do something. Two thousand five, the internet is MySpace, and YouTube is just doesn't even exist. Right? No, it barely. It's exists. like it's technically exists. Yeah, it's starting to. People are debating whether or not there's going to be enough broadband for YouTube to yeah. scale. It's like a year before
0: Lazy Sunday. Yeah,
1: but Facebook is Facebook hit my junior year of college. Okay, so we're like we're like a year and a half into Facebook at this point. So yeah, so we. We start cranking on it. Brian's cousin was one of the founders of College Humor. Was
0: your thought, wait, before we get to that, I didn't realize that. Uh, I like that angle.
1: That's a good connection. It is.
0: Was your thought, I want to make a website, what should I make, let's do sports, or was it, I want a sports website,
1: let's make that? I always thought about it in terms of, like, two observations. One, sports was not entertaining enough for younger fans. You had too many... Mostly older journalists who are taking themselves too seriously, and they were so out of touch with like I'm on this college campus with thousands of people, and they're so out of touch with their demographic. Um, sports content it's very wordy, it's very oriented around the games. They're just they're just off in left field. And I was an economics major, and I felt like I could go prove some of this and that uh, that just resource allocation by newspapers and by other content companies. Was wildly out of whack with data. But this
0: wasn't you sitting in a room saying, "What would make for a good, interesting internet company? What are what are the various asymmetries I can exploit?" Ah, sports. Was, was, there, was there an earlier version of this? No, no, you got it. I'm
1: I'm the other way around. I'm a huge. I was a huge sports fan, and I really wanted my uh, my driving passion has always been to create something that makes sports fans happier. So yeah, I I was trying to solve that problem. So you guys start building this thing. It yeah. is it is heavily, well, almost entirely based around search, right? right so we built. So initially. So we built a funnel business. If uh, if you'll bear with me on this for a second, so we built a lot of we built a lot of search traffic. We basically figured out how to data mine everything that um, that people wanted to see against every single sport, every single team on a 365 day basis. And then we do it one year, and then the next year we'd figure out how we could have done it better. We got really really good at that. But what happens is you have all this audience that like somebody. You know, it was a Philadelphia Eagles fan, clicks on an article about Nick Foles, he comes to a web page, he stays on it for anywhere from five seconds to seven minutes, and then he bounces. So we figured out, hey, if we're going to build a business here, we need to convert this random dude into a loyal user. And so when, so when I say funnel, we uh, started to get people to sign up for newsletters. And we were really early on at doing this, and we were quite good at it. So we created newsletters for hundreds of different teams and leagues And we sank a ton of energy into making sure that if you did sign up for our newsletter, it was awesome. And so our newsletter engagement rates were incredible. Like for SEC football teams, we had 40,000, 50,000 fans per some of the biggest teams, and the open rates on the newsletters were over 70%. Like the value proposition of the newsletter, which is basically – if there was anything relevant, anything entertaining about your team, whether it was from us or any other source, you are going to hoover it all up. We're going to hoover it all up. We're going to send it to you three times a week. So it was just a winning product, and it was our first. It was our first winning product, and all we did was we, uh, when mobile apps happened, we basically converted that audience into a better version of the newsletters, which became our mobile app. We got really, really good at curating content and programming content in the mobile app, and then when the social platforms happened we were just better at framing content up than others were, and we just went and built, like, we've just kind of gone step by step. But my perception
0: of you guys, both from what I've read and also what I remember talking to various folks about, was that early on you guys were really exploiting Google. Figuring out, oh, Google is telling us that people want more of this sort of stuff. This is yeah. around the same time, Demand Media was a big thing.
1: Yeah, different, um, different
0: strategy, but, but yeah. similar, right? And so you're getting people to uh, we were
1: we were news oriented. They were organic search, right. yeah. but to do all
0: that, to make a lot of that, to make variants of that, you have to pay people not a lot of money or, or nothing. Yeah, um, um, you guys got dinged for you know, I think something the memos sort of explaining your content creation strategies got out there. It didn't look great. Um, over time, right? You yeah. get better at that. Also, other people are doing it, so you do less of that. You also sort of, as you get bigger and have more resources, start hiring more journalists to do yeah. real stories. Eventually, you hire name
1: brand journalists from New yeah. York Times, et cetera. Um, so say from 2005 through 2009, 2010, everyone was unpaid. I think 2010, we start paying. That's what, like That was when we had gone from raising a couple million dollars to having some real money, we started paying some of the staff and then by 2013 i think the i think the last unpaid contribution on bleach report was 2013 it could have been early 2014 it was the
0: model always we're going to sort of let, we're going to work our way up the value chain and eventually will everyone gets paid and we move out of this or or did that sort of happen organically because you'd sort of exploited google as much as you could and sort of doing
1: that sort of super high velocity stuff didn't pay off as much um, i wouldn't say that's an interesting way of phrasing that. Um, did we plan to pay people from the beginning? I don't know if we ever thought that far ahead. So I think it it happened organically. Like we, we didn't. Because model wise, right, especially like in terms of VCs
0: and funding. Yeah they'd say oh i see how you can make content for free or next to nothing that's great that's that business scale that was
1: to- totally what VCs were interested and in and if you went to them and said and eventually we're going to pay them living wages they oh, would they'd say d- oh no we can't do that yes yes you're you're exactly correct that is uh, that is exactly what the VCs told us they also told us that in the in a sports space that was so crowded with ESPN NBC CBS AOL at the time sports illustrated on and on and on there was no way you could ever build a big enough audience to sell advertising we had actually, we had a really hard time raising money from traditional VCs until we were reasonably far along, even just because they didn't think it was possible to build an audience that big. And you didn't know any better. We didn't know any better. And so we were, like in retrospect, uh, there are probably some things I would have done differently on the audience growth standpoint, just in terms of the way we treated some writers and there are things I'd do differently for sure. Uh, but we just totally honed in on audience growth because we thought that was the only way we could build a sustainable business. You sold
0: the company to Turner 2010, is that right?
1: 2012. 2012. Yeah. A couple
0: hundred million dollars. I yeah. assume you got some of that. Yeah. Uh, you left, how soon after that? Uh,
1: I stayed on through the end of 2014.
0: So sort of standard, sell the company, stay on for two years, probably an earnout attached to that, leave, that's the standard route for a startup yeah. founder. yeah, yeah. But you're back. Still yeah. owned by 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 Turner slash yeah. Time Warner slash yeah. maybe AT
1: and T. Why'd you come back? How'd that happen? So, at the end of fourteen, I'd I'd always planned to leave, and I mean I've been doing it for nine and a half years, and I want I wanted to just think about something else, and I started another company with Bleach Reports' former CTO. And we worked on it for a year. What was that? And it was called Binge. Um, we were working on content discovery for. It wasn't really a content company. It was more. Uh, I say it was content discovery, not a content company. It was. Uh, it was more a play to help people find their favorite podcasts, movies, TV shows, books that they'd love if they only knew it existed. So
0: I want to do, I want to build another company.
1: I don't yeah. want to build the same company, I know some stuff about media. Let's go do this. Yeah. So like my, my other co-founders went did other media plays. I had no interest in doing that. I will never start another content company. Like I just, <laughs> it's so, I won't, I'm not doing it. Um, but while we were building that, I started to see what was going on in this industry that we're in, where it sure seemed like Facebook and Google were starting to eat, uh, were starting to eat publishers' lunches around display advertising, especially. Bleacher Report's part of a bigger company, and the marriage of Bleacher Report and Turner um, has been well documented. has gone extraordinarily well, and there are a lot of people who deserve a lot of credit for that on both sides. But still, it's a big company, and pivoting is really, really hard inside of big companies. It just is. So I started to see the signs that my I thought my baby, and that's the way I view it, um, was not super well set up for success, and we needed to make some big sweeping changes to our strategy, and then we'd have to execute it. So um, I don't know. One thing led to another, and I told them that if they put $100 million into the company, that i would come wait, back. Wait, wait, wait. Let's back to the one thing. Because <laughs> I, I understand why... They would want you to come back. Theoretically, we'll
0: come back to that. Sure. But f- usually people who build a company yeah. sell it to a bigger company. Yeah. Even if they really want to stay on at the big company, it turns out they're not—doesn't really work. Yes, it, that's, that's what usually, usually happens. Usually the people who can build a company from zero aren't well set up to be in a giant conglomerate. It just yeah. sort of organically doesn't happen. So did they come
1: to you and say, would you please come back, Dave? So I stayed on as kind of an advisor. They They uh-huh. made me the— we kind of created a, a pseudo board structure, and I was the chairman of that board. So I remember we had a board meeting at some point in late 2015, and Doug Bernstein, who was the guy who led the House of Highlights acquisition on our end, brilliant dude, um, stepped up in a room and gave a presentation about how we needed to go all in on native content. And basically said, this is going to be hard. but." if we don't do this, we're dead. Um, this is where the audience is going. We'll have to figure out the monetization piece, but we got to go do it. And I agreed with him. Um, and for the way our business was set up, the way our sales team was set up, we were just in no position to do that without a lot of really, really hard work. Um, more more hard work than I'll, I'll go into detail on, but like rebuild a lot of different teams type of hard work, a lot of different personnel type of hard work. And I just felt like I've been very close with, uh, with a guy named Matt Hong at Turner, who's the COO of Turner Sports, and we just started talking about it. And um, I just kind of came to the conclusion that if they put real money into the business uh, where we had a chance to go and invest and grow, and maybe it was a little bit of a contrarian play at a time when VCs are starting to pull back and are not funding content companies as much, that... Uh, that we could go build something that could be relevant for decades, and they make it interesting for you financially. Yeah, I mean they pay me. I'm not doing it for free. Yeah, sure. But it's it's not like Jack Dorsey coming back to Twitter and he's got a lot of equity there. So no, 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 no. totally different, to sort of totally different it. situation. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not You're making a hundred million dollars by doing this. But uh, um, no, they they pay me well. It's all it's all good. But I I do it because I love the brand and I want it to. I want it to be something that matters to millions and millions of people for decades to come. So and obviously you have resources, they yeah. put a hundred million dollars yeah, into this, we have great um, resources. you've got NBA rights, so you don't have to worry about getting got sued. We've Got a lot of rights. Uh,
0: what are the constraints of, of being part of Turner slash Time Warner slash maybe AT&T?
1: What are the things you can't do that you could have done when you were solo? Um, there are a lot of things that take longer because more, there's more process and red tape, though to their credit, though this wasn't the case initially. Um, but after the first couple of years of um, of owning the business, they let us pull back a lot of stuff. So we're pretty integrated from a finance standpoint and an HR standpoint, which is what you would expect. But sales-wise, we're really good partners with the Turner Sports sales team, but I have my own sales team that sells in a, ver- in a way that's very, very custom to BR. They sell House of Highlights too, but they don't have to sell all the other stuff that's in the Turner Sports bag. Um, it's a little easier. No, I shouldn't say it that way. If you have a chance to sell TV commercials to someone for millions and millions of dollars, that's probably it. a smarter thing to do than to sell a an arduous $600,000 branded content campaign, right? But I still need people to focus on selling the $600,000 branded content campaign. And so they've just, to their credit, they've just really believed in... The business, a lot of the other sports players that used to be in this space have kind of bowed out, and there aren't many of us left at the scale. So the attitude is, eh, like maybe these guys kind of know what they're doing. Let's keep funding the thing. It's not that expensive in the grand scheme of things for Time Warner, and let's look up in five years and see where it is. you guys do any thinking about what at and would mean if that, if that deal goes through? I, I, I certainly think about it. Um, uh I don't see how, for us, it could be anything but a good thing. It's, uh, you know, how, however many phones they're on in the United States, um, we're we're pretty aligned with mobile-first strategies, so I don't know anything, but... The snap
0: conventional wisdom is Time Warner, even though it seems like a bunch of suits. There's, that's a freewheeling bunch of liberal dudes in, in New York City, and, and AT&T is a very stodgy company based in Dallas, and how's it ever going to work? I'm not sure about that. I think they're not... I think they are smart enough to let that company do its own thing
1: yeah i don't I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen,
0: but I like how uh, I ask my own question and then I answer my own question, yeah,
1: it's cool uh, it's great. Reader.
0: you should just do that all day uh, you mentioned the, uh, we've we've mentioned them at least once barstool they're, yeah. the, they're the new
1: kids, yeah um, what do you think of them um I honestly mostly root for them, I think they're one of the few examples of Kind of a brand first company that's emerged in the space. Most of us were kind of audience first, and then we built our brands on the on the back side. That's that. what what does being brand first mean? Brand first means that they have uh, they, their audience isn't that big, but their users are incredibly passionate about the brand. So the brand outpunches its weight relative to how many people actually people consume, who love, Barstool, consume love their content. Barstool People who love Barstool really, really love Barstool. Um I'm interested to see what they do. I think the setup, like I met with uh with Erica pretty recently it's the, CEO. The, the CEO and I just think their setup's great. They have these crazy content people over here and then they brought in a very professional business development leader who has credibility everywhere. Um, and not a dude, which helps. Yeah, I, think I thought was, that was brilliant. Um, she seems like a great person and to spell to this that out, company. right? Because the idea is they—they're edgy—is the—is the professional way we describe this. Some yeah, content, like you right? wouldn't say Slash like misogynistic yeah. or um, whatever other words we could call them. It'll be interesting to see. I'm curious if they decide to push more chips into the advertising business. I think they need to clean the content up. If they do that, they might risk losing some of the uh, the attachment they have to their audience. They have an audience who loves them because they're not ESPN, particularly because they're not ESPN, but also because they're not you guys or they're not yeah they're not um, they're not politically correct by any. They're Uh definitely more like it feels to me like white males who want to join a country club, right? It's like that's they're not they're never going to be as big as we are because we work very hard to be inclusive and we don't offend people. They. Purposely offend people, and that's what they do, but a lot of people love that. So, um, whatever. Uh, I'm curious if they decide to go down more of a Howard Stern type of route, where they just say, we don't care, we're gonna monetize our audience through other means, people love us so much that they'll eventually pay us some sort of subscription fee somewhere, some way, we'll get people to show up for events, we'll do e-commerce at a pretty decent scale. So, I'm not sure, and to say barstool sports, I mean, it's not really sports, right? It's more it's fraternity content. It's like, it's sometimes it's around the culture of sports, but they're not covering sports news the same way that ESPN or Bleacher Report covers sports news. They're in the sports universe. They're in the sports universe, but it's, I don't know, it's something It's something different. You mentioned subscriptions. Are you paying attention to The Athletic,
0: what they're doing? It's yeah. traditional yeah, yeah, yeah. journalism I'm- selling $10 monthly subscriptions. Yeah, I met with the founders
1: a couple of weeks ago. Smart dudes
0: any play for you there or you think you're kind of reach your social that's working for you keep doing more of that
1: um we'll certainly keep going with social we've got some other tricks up our sleeve that we'll roll out later this year that i i think have more potential um scale potential as uh from a business standpoint it'll be cure like they're another company that i'm rooting for them they're they recognize the white space that they're all of these great sports writers who are out there who are some form of unemployed or not making as much money as they used to and they're kind of gobbling them all up. Uh, what I said to those guys is I'm I'm a bit skeptical about how many people are actually willing to pay that subscription, but they have a chance to prove me wrong and we'll see. Yeah, I think we'll have them in there too. I mean, their their argument is we
0: have the math. We know what we know what it costs to fund a reporter. So, yeah. if we can sell this many Minnesota Wild subscriptions, we can hire that beat reporter. Totally. We'll, it it we'll doesn't see need will be, be that many people at $10. Yeah,
1: and for us, though, I mean, we view ourselves—we mean different things to different people, but I think if you ask any sports company in this space, we're usually after Facebook and Google, we're their third-largest referral source. So we point—I ma- mean, I would guess we're ESPN's third-largest referral source. We're probably ESPN Nation's third-largest referral source. So we, we point a ton of traffic to The Athletic, and if our users want to subscribe to The Athletic, that's all good, great, and fine. That's up up to them. People are going to use different sports products, but uh, as long as they're still coming to us and using us as a portal um, or a platform, someday, you, I think, I think we're deriving as much value as uh, at least, and it's enough for me.
0: We have David Carey in here, uh, director. of. What's this? He runs Hearst magazines.
1: Yeah, uh, he had lo- he had a of smack talk for digital.
0: Um, people have been responding to that one for a while. Uh, he had a line along the lines of "It's it's very easy to run a money losing digital operation." Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and I'm going to buy a lot of them, or, or a lot of them are going to go out of business yeah. this year. Um, one, are you making money?
1: Yeah, revenue and and earnings. Uh, I'm not allowed to comment on specific things. But we had um, I will say that our revenue ramped really quickly. <laughs> Uh, from basically when we started making money in 2010 through 2015, in 2016 when I came back, the revenue year was relatively flat. Like we had to do a lot of hard things, and then in 2017 we killed it. We had a great year last year, and I think this year we'll have another really, really good year. I can't say what. I'm not allowed to go into any details because I'm part just, of a big can just company. You wink at me. Yeah, we had a good year. Your comms person is shaking. You nervous?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I think she's looking at someone's Instagram instead. Uh, and then is, are, are there acquisitions play, plays for you guys? Or yeah. Are
1: there smaller properties? Are there 100%. other folks you can buy as things get tougher this year? Yeah, that's exactly the way we're looking at things. And I think a lot of others will be too. We looked at a couple of deals we really that were bigger than, say, House of Highlights that we really liked last year. Decided not to pull the trigger on either of them, uh, but we were close. And... This year, I think the approach will be the same for the reasons you listed. There are a lot of good companies out there that um, uh, that could probably benefit from being a part of our distribution channels and being a part of our brand that we might be able to turn into decent businesses.
0: Okay. I will watch. Deal. Are you coming to Code Media this year? Uh, not No. Yet. Probably. Maybe. Maybe. You no, should. I'm not going. Dave went last year. He loved it. You it was should great. No, it was a really good event. I had fun. It was a really good event. He had fun. He paid full freight. I don't remember giving a discount,
1: right? I think we paid, yeah. There we go. He
0: thinks he paid. Um, you guys should pay. <laughs> you should come join us at Code Media, February twelfth and thirteenth. Recode.net slash events. Whether or not you're coming to Code Media, the only thing we've asked of you is that you tell someone else about this podcast so they can listen to it. It's advertising supported. The more people who listen, the more money you can make from our advertising. You can make more podcasts. It's great. By the way, you can tell people whoever you want. I saw someone has been leaving a note for Kara Swisher in the Apple Podcast review thing that's a weird way to get a note to Kara oh, just email her tweet her but if you do want to rate and review us at Apple Podcast that's a great place to do it do it in the rating and review section that'd be awesome thanks to our sponsors thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media who bring those sponsors to this podcast so you can listen to it for free thanks to Joel Robbie who edits the ums and ahs out of the show to my producers Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson thanks again to Dave Finocchio from Bleacher Report
1: thanks for having me Peter see you guys next week